0: Hey everybody, it's Craig from the University of Applied Research and Development and it is our privilege, privilege <laughs> a bit tongue-tied this morning, sorry, but it is our privilege to have a fellow Kiwi, Jolie Willis, who is the CEO, the founder and director of Hummingly. Good morning, Jolie. Good morning, tēnā Koto. How are you? Kia ora. I'm really, really good and it's nice to have someone in the same time zone so we can have a chat about what you do.
1: Fantastic, nice to be here.
0: Tell us about Hummingly and how you came to be the co-founder of it and what it does.
1: Oh, good question. The short answer is that for Elizabeth, who's my other co-founder and I, our careers have quite literally been a series of disasters. So I imagine for for many that are joining us today, they might be able to say (laughs) the same or aspiring to that, which is a very odd thing to aspire to. But uh, for Elizabeth, she started with the Boxing Day, you know, the Asian tsunami, so huge-scale disaster. And the two of us met while working on the Christchurch earthquakes, so just over 10 years ago now. Um, you know, huge scale disasters, we really know firsthand the weight of that responsibility and the challenges that you really face, you know, leading in the space or working in the space. So, you know, we've spent the last decade really doing what we can to learn as much as we possibly can around disaster recovery in particular, that's our space, and packaging that learning up into really practical tools and guidance, because we just want to make it just that little bit easier for communities that are hit by disaster and for those working to support them in recovery. You know, we um, really want to to help get everyone humming again because, man, it's a, it's a tough gig. It's really difficult.
0: It is. And for those who aren't quite clear on the distinction between response and recovery, how about you talk about that, unpack it for us.
1: Sure. So I guess you could say we're 10 years into uh, disaster recovery in Christchurch and our central business district, were well, maybe 70 percent rebuilt. So, you know, I think it's really hard in people's mind to get beyond, you know, if you think about flooding the sandbag kind of mm. phase and um, the initial weeks or days after. And really tr- difficult. It's one of our challenges we had is how do you help people imagine and visualize The months and years and that cumulative nature and that endurance piece that comes after disaster in terms of not being able to put things back as they were. You know, the first plan in everybody's mind is to go back to what was there before. I think it's a default. And that's just not possible. So there's a lot of work that happens in re envisioning a future and, you know, putting in place uh, things that really help people get their lives going again, you know, at a community level and a a family level as
0: well. Just before you started speaking um, live, you spoke about those three design challenges and some resources to help with responding to those. Unpack that for us.
1: Yeah, sure. So, I guess the first design challenge. It's probably helpful to give you a little bit of the story behind that. And as I said, for me, it all started um, just over ten years ago. It's it very early in the morning. It was, um, you know, four thirty in the morning, pitch black, middle of winter. Um, it was September the fourth, you know, two thousand and ten, and we had a huge earthquake. It was a seven point one magnitude, and uh, to which we live very close to the epicenter and um, since then you know we've had 15,000 aftershocks as I said we're 10 years in and still recovery is ongoing so one of the things sorry let's make sure I didn't miss today (laughs) so one of the things we found was um, that you've just the relentlessness of working in the space and how long it takes Um, and one of the things we were finding with um, a team of people, so as a leader of that team, I was impacted by the disaster myself, which is often um, often the case for people working in disaster recovery because you know you're on the ground. So I'm impacted by the disaster. I'm leading a team of people impacted by the disaster who are supporting volunteers impacted by the disaster to be supporting the community and doing that for a really long period of time. And so you know everyone's feeling the weight of that responsibility. And having to constantly innovate and scale up and design the services that we're designing to meet the evolving need in a community and so you're building and doing at the same time and that over time leads to exhaustion right so one of the things we were finding we knew that if they were going to sustain the support to communities disaster recovery taking a really long time we needed to find a way to sustain that team And I'm a cognitive scientist. So, you know, psychology is my background. So we threw everything we could at this team, you know, everything to try and support their well-being and resilience over time. And the reality is we were still burning them out. And to us, that wasn't okay. And yet when we sat down at every table, whether it was with community, with government, um, with local government, with business, the private sector, we were seeing the same thing. You know, people were on a road to not a great place in terms of that exhaustion piece. Mm. Um, And that led to um, a Winston Churchill Fellowship, which meant I was able to travel around the world speaking to others who were working in very similar environments after disaster and get a sense as to whether we were alone in that or not. And the answer was that we weren't unique and experiencing that whole host of negative impacts, not just for the people working in the space, but also for the organizations, right, and the mission that you're trying to achieve, you know, when decision making becomes impaired, and you start losing people in your um, in your teams um, as you burn them out. So really starting to see that this is a, a common challenge. So that was our first design challenge, and it led to three learnings for that, right. The first one is looking after yourself and your people as you support others is an absolute necessity, right, and it's obvious, but still, we're, we're not very good at it because you just can't afford not to. So that's the first lesson. The second one was workforce and resilience is a triple responsibility. So I say that in that um, our messages to and expectations of people that they practice self-care, it's really important. But if we continue to pile people up with an unsustainable load while asking them to look after themselves, it's just not going to work. Mm. So it's a triple yeah. responsibility. There's the individual piece. There's a lot we can do as a team to support each other, and there's a lot we can do as an organisation. So right. from that Princeton Churchill Fellowship, we put together 12 key recommendations, and I can send all of this through to you, Craig, so that you can send it out to everyone. Wonderful. But there's 12 recommendations for that organisational piece. yeah. And then the third learning was that we can educate about self-care, right? Um, but what we were finding was bridging the gap between knowing about it and doing it is really difficult like we all know we should eat our five fruit and veggies we all know we should get good exercise you know but when the pressure's on it's just so hard to put it into place right so and especially in this environment how difficult it is and uncomfortable and impossible it feels to really prioritize yourself in the face of that overwhelming and unrelenting need, it's really difficult. So our design challenge, it was a very long story to get to this, but our design challenge was um, how do you know, we had guidance for organisations, had come out of the Winston Churchill Fellowship, but how do we help those at the individual level working in disaster recovery to really bridge the gap between knowing that we need to look after ourselves and what to do and actually being able to do it? right Um, that's especially when the pressure's on Hmm. so there's a tool that we created called the doing well deck that is designed just for this purpose and again I will send the information out after so that you've got all of that Um, to help people put in place an intentional plan right Right. a really protective plan to prevent burnout and to sustain working in the space because one of the things we found is it's a really fine line between damage and growth This is the most amazing space to work in or you can be damaged by it, right? And it's a fine line. We want people to grow from working in this space, not be damaged by it. And having the right knowledge and tools makes all the difference. So that's that's the first design challenge, yeah. Just any questions on that, or do you want me to crack on to number two? What do you reckon?
0: No, that's really good, and I like that you've identified it's a triple response about the self, the team, and the organisation. Um, that's really good to make that clear for people to think yeah. that this is actually a holistic approach.
1: Absolutely, yeah. And there's a lot we can do to change the environment and culture too that, you know, around what does stress mm. look like? How does it play out? How do we support each other? as well, I think is a really important conversation to be having in in teams and in in organizations as well. Yeah, and then the second challenge was around um, guidance for recovery leaders. Yeah. So what we were finding, it's got to be usable in the pressured conditions that they face. What you find, and we, as part of that Winston Churchill Fellowship, talking to recovery leaders all over the world, you'd walk into their office, and if you look on the bookshelf, you'd see this great big doorstep stop of a recovery manual. You know, like huge things sitting on their on their bookshelves. Mm. And if you look closely, the the spine is only cracked to about thirty. You know. So, and that's just the reality is, you know, you just don't have time to be reading Gosh. a whole lot. Of- Standard operating procedures or a huge manual, when um, you've got to think very much around, you know, the understanding the pressure and lack of time and brain space that you have when you're working in this environment. So, um, and it's really important because leadership in disaster recovery is different to business as usual. It's you know different in so many ways, and um, it's a really tough gig. It's really difficult, and it's a really important role. So, um, it can be made just that little bit easier if you know what's normal, and if you've got the guidance of others who have been there before. So one of the resources that we created was a guide called Leading in Disaster Recovery, a companion through the chaos. And it's about 30 pages. It's got all the wisdom from over 100 recovery leaders and in a way presented in a way that works as a cognitive scientist for a very full brain. So um, one of the things you'll find in there are a lot of questions. So right. really important to disaster recovery leadership we've found is asking the right questions at the right time of the right people in the right way, you know, including of yourself, you know. When everything feels so uncertain you can't put this nice manual in place to guide you through recovery, those questions can be really anchoring when everything's so uncertain. So you'll find a lot of those questions to really help guide leadership in there as well. So that was the second resource. These are all the things we wished we'd had, Greg. You know,
0: the, you
1: know, the thing that we want others to, to have and all the things that we wished we'd had available to us. So that was the, the second design challenge. Yeah. And then the third one, lastly, was helping people to understand how long recovery is and exactly what's involved. So Mm. if you think about it, at um, the time of the earthquakes, my children were six and 10, right? Primary school children they were still in recovery mode. I've got one about to graduate university and one leaving high school. So just to get a sense of the the length of time and what that means, you know, and between those two sort of stages of their lives or our lives as a family, you know, um, or 10 years of working in recovery, basically there are a million challenges and a million decisions that you face, you know, as Mm. as myself, you know, and as um, a family um, and leading teams through this environment. Um, and developing programs to support affected people, you know, and as communities, as we re-envision what our future might look like. So, um, but if you haven't been there before in disaster recovery, you can kind of get that it's tough and it's long, but tough how exactly? You know, it's a bit like if Mm. anyone's the same thing, you know, it's going to be challenging, but you don't really know until you've been there exactly what that looks like, right? Mm. So um, our third, one of the reasons we find people find it really difficult to think beyond the sandbag kind of stage of after disaster is it's just so hard to be able to visualise, let alone plan for the long disaster recovery that comes after. Mm. So it seems so abstract. So how do we help communities and those working in this space get a really good understanding of what's involved in disaster recovery? So that was our our design challenge that we really spent a lot of time nutting out. And um, one of the reasons we found that recovery is so hard for people, you know, is that they didn't have a sense of the journey ahead or how to navigate their way through it. You know, and we couldn't find a resource that helped people with that. And so that was one of the things that we created and part of our work. And um, that's the Cards for Calamity. So, again, I can send some information around that. And it's full of tips, tricks and tales and science and research um, for those that are impacted by disaster. And it's just, you know, and often you know, pr- bringing together the tips from um, others who have been through it from different places around the world so that people feel a little bit less alone in their journey and have some really mm. good information so at the moment the Australian Red Cross are rolling those out to all their fire impacted communities you know they had huge fires like summer bushfires because they say it's really important that we get recovery knowledge into the hands of locals you know just in terms of empowering people in the community to understand and be able to drive their own recovery Mm. but for us it's also about equipping staff with recovery knowledge you know, because if it's so hard to visualize and plan for the long haul of recovery. And it's a really daunting role. When you find yourself in the space, you're often um, learning it as you're doing it and you're carrying this sort of weight of expectations. So the cards really bring together, you know, the understanding of the lived reality of people as they go through disaster recovery. And that's important because we want to be able to design our recovery systems and our plans with the end user and their journey and what they experience at the heart of what we do. So for us, that was sort of our our third design challenge is to keep compassion and empathy in the system so that we understand and design what we do based on the, the needs and the impacts of people who are affected by disaster um so important to get the knowledge in the hands of disaster affected people but also for people working in the space so yeah in a, in a nutshell those are three of the really meaty challenges we we were determined to get our teeth into because they were some of the challenges that we faced and struggled with ourselves in the, in the various disasters we've worked in
0: i'm trying to imagine the cards is it um, a picture of what's happened in the past in another situation so they can understand the time frame or what is it Yeah look like?
1: I'll give you these these ones here they're not always but these ones here are co-branded with Australian Red Cross often the, uh-huh. in the net. I'll give you a sense of some of them are a little bit of you know um, theory around recovery this is you know some of the typical uh, typical journey that you might expect and some of them are much more around um you know, a bit of a, a story of oh, so this one here's a lot about the brain science of, you know, people making decisions um and the brain fog that people encounter, mm. which is the impact of of cortisol and um, how you're yeah. making those million decisions, but yeah. without the access to the best part of your brain because of the impact of stress. <laughs> you know, as a cognitive science, I get quite a scientist, I get Quite geeky around. We're making, decisions, <laughs> we're making decisions that are incredibly important for ourselves and our communities, but yeah. in you know, a stress state where we don't have access to the best tool that we have available mm. for us to be making the best decisions, right? And some of them, are, you know, some of them are really practical around people just talk about life admin being supersized, right, you know, and how everything, not only do they have their, like, current job and uh, whatever that might be, you know, between family and career and profession or looking after this their um, um, ageing parents, like, we all have full lives before a disaster comes along. Mm. And then... And on top of that, all of the bureaucracy and the paperwork and the, you know, all the processes on top yeah. of a really full job. And people feel that that weight of the life admin being supersized, you know. And some of them just <coughs> are generally um, stories from people who've been through it before that articulate some of the challenges and some of the tips that they've found helpful. So there's something about people just realizing that the, some of the reactions that they're, they're feeling and the challenges they're facing are normal, you know, right. and they can use the cards to to um, start the conversations with each other in terms of support is so important within amongst peers in the community, um, right. so just to really catalyze and get some of those conversations and support going.
0: Yeah. Just over an hour ago, Previously, I was speaking to Lewis Curtis, who heads up Microsoft's disaster response around the world, and uh, it was a really interesting conversation. He said exactly what you just said, that people are having their normal life, and having to manage family and time and job and everything but then suddenly there's this life-threatening life-threatening emergency that people need to respond to and that level of stress just stays mm. up there it's not like normal life because normal life carries on but this yeah. level just stays there and being able to decompress is yes. so important
1: what is yeah. something
0: from your background being a cognitive sociologist uh, what's some from your background, some tips and tricks you would give people who are working in this sector to help yeah. manage that?
1: Yeah, and maybe before I answer that, it just brought to mind a story that might be useful, just as you were talking about that mm. um, the stress staying up there and that just that cumulative nature. One of the very first people that I interviewed was um, as part of that Winston Churchill Fellowship, was a lady who um, was working for local government and had quite a critical role after the um, Black Saturday bushfires. So, you know, about thirteen years ago now, approximately in Australia. So huge bushfires that they had in Victoria, and just to get a another way of painting the picture of that elevated stress and how long it goes on for for people. And one of the things I said to her is, look, this is what we're experiencing in terms of the impacts here on our people, you know working in this space, um, and the tiredness and the exhaustion. and um, just you know, is this is this normal? is this what you're experiencing? And how would you articulate that to someone who's not worked in this space or a decision maker who maybe is sitting somewhere remotely who doesn't understand the pressure that people are under? And she had a really good analogy. you know she said, it's kind of like being asked to carry this ever-increasing load of bricks. She said, before the event, you already have a load of bricks that you're carrying that just are part of your life, right? She said, you know, my role is community-facing. There are plenty of challenges as part of that role. You know, there's a lot of responsibility that I carry, she said. But on top of that, I have family logistics. I have aging parents. She said, I have, you know, financial things that are always going on in the back of my mind. There are just, you know, things that you carry as part of life as normal everyday kind of um, things. And she said, and then along comes this huge event and adds a huge lot of bricks. Like everything gets um, made more complex. You know, the support Mm -hmm. and needs in the community. You know, everything is just um, much more uncertain, much more difficult. So your bricks just get, um, you know, again, like huge pile of bricks. She said, but the bit I didn't understand was how long those bricks stay for. And the fact that they don't really decrease over time Mm. you know i thought that i'd just be carrying them for you know a matter of weeks (laughs) maybe a few months she said but i didn't realize that two years in i'd still be you know sort of under this weight of bricks and if anything they just keep getting added as things become more complex and uncertain and difficult Um, and people become really tired, and she said, and then Jill quite, you know, we're all really loaded up with our bricks, everybody's got this big load that comes after disaster, and Jill over there is having trouble with hers, quite understandably, and I'm that person that always finds a way and says, yes, I'm the go-to person, so suddenly I find I've got some of Jill's bricks. She Mm. said first thing is that when my manager comes to me and says hey Anne like it's really important you look after yourself I can see you've got a lot going on the self-care piece critically important you know I really hope you're you're taking good care of yourself but you know we've got these things that we have to get across the line for the minister or, or whatever can you get these three more things done by the end of the week and he chucks three more bricks onto her load
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: and that was really much some of the catalyst for thinking about that triple responsibility but it really paints the picture of that cumulative relentless nature So in terms of the things that we can be doing, again, it's making that intentional plan. You know, so one of the things we find is that we intend to look after ourselves, but it always falls off the bottom of the list. And we've seen the most amazing recovery leaders fall over because of the endurance piece. And so having a plan and putting a bit of a crew around you is really Mm. important. Because one of the things that happens with prolonged stress is that we lose perspective. You can expect to lose perspective when you're working in the space for a long period of time. So, if you can realistically expect to lose perspective, how are you going to put in place some perspective checkers? You know, and some right. people that support you. So, we think as humans that we make decisions. Quite independently, but we don't, right? We usually make decisions with, um, you know, thinking about or bouncing things off others and, and what others around us think are desirable or acceptable or in comparison to others. So actually get quite intentional about putting in a bit of a recovery crew. So we talk about with organizations, they have a board for a reason. Like right? the board is there to, if, you know, good operating relationship between an organization and a board or have Mm. a board really looking to the future to um, potential potholes that they can help steer you around or support you through or to help you know help you see things that you're maybe not seeing and these are the sorts of things you can put in place for yourself personally as a leader in the space so have a couple of people that are really safe go-to people and they may be outside of your organization but people who know you well or that you feel really comfortable being able to or you find a way to find to feel comfortable to be able to mm. share some of the challenges and um, have people who will really speak the truth to you and challenge you back when you need it. You know, people who can really, you your truth tellers, your truth seekers, but also help you hold perspective when you know, just let them know I'm gonna lose perspective at some time. I want you to be asking me these questions or mm. other questions. Will really help guide me through this um because i think we've seen the most amazing leaders fall over when they're not prepared to ask for advice, mm. advice. so um yeah the best leaders will ask themselves tough questions and will have asked others ask them those questions and help steer them through so don't do it alone i would say is a really important important message um mm. even the best leaders need some amazing support yeah
0: that's really great. A Very, very thorough, really clear. If people want to get hold of you and yes. Hummingly, how can they do that? What's the best way to do that, Jolie?
1: So the best way is via our website, so www.hummingly.co or you can email me at jolie.hummingly.co and I can send through all those details, Craig, if that's helpful.
0: That's great. Ah, uh, Jolie, please don't go anywhere when we finish up, but thank you very much for giving your time. It was seven thirty in the morning when we started, and I really appreciate you getting up early and and sharing with us your wisdom and what you gain from the fellowship and how you grow organisations. Thank you very much.
1: You're very welcome, thanks for having me.
0: And for those of you that are watching the recording, particularly our students, if you're an emergency manager, you know that you're always training, you're always developing, you're always getting certified. You probably have that massive binder full of um, certifications and training that you've done, and maybe it doesn't translate into an academic qualification. You want your degree, you want your master degree, so do reach out to us, UARD.org org or uard.ac.nz and we can help you gain your degree with recognition of all of your learning and all of your training and your industry experience. So Jolie again thanks so much for being with us.
1: You're very welcome, go well everyone.